dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host, Sean Eubanks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Blunt Business Radio. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Today's topic is too LED or not too LED, and we have an distinguished guest here, Steve Cruss. And Steve has more than 27 years of experience in LED applications in a wide range of areas, from components to commercial lighting. As a founder and president of Lightwaves Electronics, Inc., Steve is a recognized innovator of LED lighting solutions for the retail and agricultural industries. Steve continues to expand his network within the industry locally and internationally by working with production sites, lighting manufacturings, scientists, and leaders in the cannabis industry. He's a frequent guest presenter in the West. In fact, Steve and I first met in Portland when he was presenting there. Um, I thought he was a fantastic presenter, was asked to speak there, as he is in many places across the country, and uh, invited him to come on the show. And so, you know, per Steve, there there is a significant and at time conflicting information out there about different lighting technologies and, and that are floating around the commercial cannabis industry, and all of it is not accurate. So Steve will be joining our podcast, sharing his extensive wealth of knowledge and the actual components that make up the lights you depend on and how the newest LED grow light systems can maximize all phases of plant growth and production while significantly reducing power consumption and eliminating hazardous wastes and materials. Steve has been designing innovative lighting solutions for the cannabis industry since 2013 with his team of engineers and electrical professionals as an allied partner of the Energy Trust of Oregon, he's completed dozens of compliant cannabis projects throughout the United States and Canada. It is Lightwave's goal to change the way people think about and use energy constantly improving their cannabis grow. Steve believes knowledge is power, and we believe that as well. So, Steve Cruss, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. I'm thrilled to be here. Excellent. So our topic today, to LED or not to LED, uh, really look forward to what you have to say here, Steve, and um, let's get started. So so just kind of a, a brief overview, what is the state of the market now? So currently the market is, is getting more and more towards LED. Um, LED has kind of been around for a little while, um, but the initial ones that came out about five years ago, there was a lot of promises made that really weren't quite kept, and which is always frustrating from, from my point of view in an industry. Uh, early adapters often get in a little too early, um, but it's been really interesting to see how quickly it's changed and how far LEDs have come in just in the last two to three years. Excellent. So what should I look out for if I'm visiting a trade show and I want to separate the contenders from the pretenders? So first thing to look for when you walk up to a booth and they're looking at LEDs is I always say, reach out and touch it. Find out if it has some heft to it. If it doesn't have a significant amount of weight, there's not enough heat sinking for for the LEDs to keep them cool. And that's what's going to make them fail. So um, the other way to, that some manufacturers cool their LEDs are with fans. Um, first thing I ask when I see a fan is, is it easily accessible? It's a moving part. Um, moving parts fail. 
they're they're pretty good in the sense that they've been designed for user farms now uh, or server farms and uh they should have a hundred thousand hour life on a fan but it is a moving part if it fails is it easily accessible to be replaced those are kind of the first two things to look at okay and then you also hear a lot about par can you tell us what is par and how is that defined yeah, par is the range of light between um, between uh, 400 and 700 nanometers, which is the color, and and that's what plants use for photosynthesis. It's a uh, it's a broader range than what we can visibly see, but uh, it's what plants use for for photosynthesis. They absorb those photons and use that to to start the process. Okay, and then why is PAR useful to know? So it's useful to know um, when you're looking at a light source is how much of the light that's being that's coming out of that fixture is usable. Um, so, you know, yes, everything between 400 and 700 nanometers is usable to a plant, but not necessarily in equal amounts. Blue and red are very easily absorbed by a plant which is why a lot of LED manufacturers make a purple light. Um, yellow and green are absorbed, but at a much lower percentage. You know, if, if you think about it, why are, why are leaves green? Because they're reflecting that wavelength. They're generally not reflecting red, so, but that's why they look green. Okay, and then what is PPF? PPF is the photosynthetic photon flux. And what that is, is really, it's, it's think of it like miles per hour. It's, it's measuring, you know, you've got PAR, which is the range of light that a plant can use. And PPF is the amount of that light that's hitting a specific area. So they usually measure it in micromoles per square meter per second. So it's how much light is hitting a square meter over a period of a second. So when you look at a light and it says a thousand micro, a thousand ppf, that's that's what they're it's explaining. It's a thousand micromoles of of photons are hitting that that area every second. Okay, and then how, so how does the how do these two metrics tie into each other when you're measuring PAR and ppf, and do you do both at the same time, and does that give you useful information? It does. Um, you know the. The more interesting thing is the PPF because, you know, when you're looking at a light and you want to know, okay, how efficient is it? You know, how much is, how much, what's the output from this thing? Um, you know, you want to make sure it's in the PAR range. So that's something you can measure with a PAR meter. And it'll tell you, the PAR meter only measures light within that range of 400 to 700 nanometers. And it's going to tell you how much is actually hitting the sensor you know, over, and that's, that's when you see your PAR reading and you say, oh, a thousand micromoles per second. So those are, that's how they kind of tie into each other. Okay. And then can you break down the four to 700 micromoles and what can our listeners take away from this info? Yeah. So the four to 700 micromole uh, or the four to 700 nanometers is, it's just the, you know, the, that's just the color. So blue light is 400 to 500 nanometers Red light is 600 to 700 nanometers, and green and yellow are in between there, between five and 600. Um, so that, that whole range is what a plant can use. It, the, uh, like I said before, it can use the blue and the red more efficiently than it can the yellow and green. 
Okay. And when you compare efficiency to how much wattage you use, um, give us an example of, of, of a comparison of that. So I like to, you know, like a comparison, the best way I like to compare that is people are used to using high pressure sodium lights and a high pressure sodium light, typically like a thousand watt Gavita, which is really drawing a 1100 Watts when you put in a ballast factor. So, um, so 1100 watts, and if you measured it with a with a par meter, you might measure a thousand micromoles, you know, the PPF at a thousand. So you could take the same thing with an LED fixture, and it might read 750 micromoles. Now, at first blush, you'd say, well, the LED is less efficient. You're you got to take a step back and say, okay, yeah, but the LED is is getting 750 micromoles with six or 700 watts instead of 1100 watts. And the second thing to take into account, you have to kind of weight the, the from a high pressure sodium light, as I said, not all of the light is absorbed equally. If green is only absorbed at 50%, and if you look at a, at a, at a readout of, uh, you know, if you took a spectrometer and you looked at what light was produced by high pressure sodium light, half of those micromoles of that thousand, half of it is in the yellow and green range. So if you think about that, if that's only absorbed at 50%, so you kind of do a weighted average, now that thousand, that 1100 watts is only producing 750 micromoles that are usable. And you can do the same thing with six or 700 watts of LED. So that's how you, we kind of compare the efficiency of different, different types of lights. Excellent. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay, so what spectrums are used in each phase for veg and flower? Cool white so, versus warm white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. in both both spectrums, I mean, in veg and flower, both you know, full spectrum of light is used. But mm-hmm. historically, during veg, blue more blue light is advantageous because it you'll get quicker growth in the veg stage. And the way to explain that is think about um, plants that are at the bottom of the forest and they need to grow and they need to get to the sun that's being blocked out by the taller plants. So they're kind of in, they're getting light, but it's, it's the blue light that's filtering down through the canopy that's making it to them. So what they're doing is they're stretching and reaching towards that light to get up there to get more light. And so that's what makes them grow faster, that spectrum of blue light. Now, when you get to flower, that's kind of later in the season for a plant, and and there's more red light. There's it's uh, you know it's it's uh, the the spectrum of light in nature would be changing at that point. The season's changing, so there's more red light. So by with LEDs and in general, just you know growing indoors, we can manipulate those plants and kind of trick them by changing the spectrum of light at at different stages to kind of tease out what we want from the plant. Perfect. Okay. And I love this. Uh, you brought this up in your presentation in Portland. You said size matters in, in, in relation to wattage. And can you, can you elaborate on yes. that? Yeah. Um, I kind of had a slide that was more uh, tongue in cheek with uh, two different fixtures that we, that we manufacture. And one is significantly bigger than the other. And I just said size matters because I like to get a chuckle out of a presentation. But the reality is, you know, for veg, you don't need as much wattage. Uh, the plants are smaller. They're it's a different stage. They they're not they don't need to absorb as much light. 
so we can, we generally go with a about a 200 watt full spectrum white LED that's cool in color temperature, uh, which means it has more blue in it. The cooler it is, the more blue it is. And then when we get into flower, we jump to a to a 300 watt fixture that uh, has 300, or we could even do a 400 watt fixture. It has a warmer white. It's got it's got a lot more yellow in it or, or red, and that triggers it to go into flower. But you do need more power with as the plants get bigger; they just absorb more energy. Okay, and this is a huge advantage for LEDs. Can you talk about the footprint of LEDs versus the others? Yeah, we can adjust the footprint by lensing the LEDs. So depending on the the grow operation, you know, we've gone into grow operations where they want to. They want to minimize the number of lights and have a big, big, wide footprint from a higher level. So we we crank, we use a higher power fixture, we hang it higher up, and we get a bigger footprint. We also, we've done a number of grow operations that they want to stack. They want to have multiple levels. So they really want the lights very close to the canopy. So we've designed a light that has a really broad footprint so we can get a four by four footprint and be less than a foot away from the canopy. And since LEDs put out, produce a lot less heat, we can do that without burning the leaves. And then can you talk about the flexibility of being able to move your lights around versus others? Yeah. So a lot of th- that's another thing what comes down to like when you look at lights, how easy are they to move? Is it a two person job, one person job? There's a lot of lights out there that are just big and bulky, and it takes two people to to move them around. We've designed a light that is a much smaller footprint physically, so it's only about 18 inches in diameter, and it's a round fixture. And what's really neat about that is literally you can adjust it up and down with one hand on a tension strand. And, you know, if you have uneven growth over a 4 by 8 canopy, if you have two of these lights covering a 4 by 8 canopy, you know, you can have one higher than the other and, and keep them the equal distance off of the canopy, even though, you know, which is hard to do when you have a big fixture. You got to have it at an angle or something. Well, yeah. And you mentioned footprint a second ago, and that's that's key in these greenhouses, isn't it, where they're trying yes. to maximize light bouncing around? Absolutely. So that's the other thing we've gone for is having a small physical footprint, which is separate than the footprint of the light that we're trying to produce. So the small physical footprint means a smaller shadow in a greenhouse. And that's kind of that's very critical. You don't want to use big bulky lights in a greenhouse because then you're you're kind of defeating the purpose. And can you get closer to lights because of less heat with LEDs and others? Absolutely. Uh, they produce significantly less heat. Um, and uh, so we can you know, we've got some fixtures that can be within six to eight inches of, of the leaves without burning them. You you can't possibly do that with with uh an HID light that's over 400 degrees. It's just going to send your plants, if not ignite them. Right. And so why do some say that they've had to, they've had the LEDs tested and they didn't know a difference? And this speaks, Steve, to kind of what other variables need to be changed to be effective with LEDs. Absolutely. One of the key things that I, I come up against when I talk to customers, they say, oh, well, a couple years ago we tested an LED and it, we didn't see the results that they promised. And there's two problems going on there. Uh, one, the LEDs prop three or four years ago were not efficient enough, um, they, and the promises were exaggerated. Two, there are variables that you need to change. So the first thing I always ask them is, well, t- 
tell me about your your variables. How'd you adjust them? And they said we we didn't adjust anything. We put LED in one in one section, and we put um, high pressure sodium in another, and we kept all the variables exactly the same. And which, from most lab perspective, that's great. You know, the scientific method minimize your variables so you know exactly what's happening. But in reality, with plant growth, that's not the case. You have to adjust nutrient levels uh, under LED. You have to adjust your watering schedule because since it's producing less heat, you know it's not drying out the soil as quickly as a high-pressure sodium light. So you have to you have to change some variables. Um, and the respiration rate of a of plants under LED is different. So the humidity level of the room changes. So there's just lots of little tweaks that you have to do uh, along the way, and uh, it's not you know you got to adjust for these things. And so, do you recommend that we raise the temperature? And if, if so, why is this a bonus? Yeah, so we we actually do because uh, high pressure sodium or metal halide actually puts out a lot of infrared radiation, which is plain and simple. It's just heat, and but it as opposed to heat that's like heating the air, it's a wavelength that is hitting the plant, the leaf itself, and warming the leaf. And so what we found with LEDs, since they have very little IR radiation, it, there's a benefit to just raising the temperature of the room about three degrees to compensate for the lack of heat on the leaf itself. And so, so you have the benefit of not having to air condition another three degrees, which is more energy savings. Yeah, that's a wonderful point, Steve, because you, you're talking about, I mean, everybody's fighting heat at one point or another. And so at this point, you know, and, and we'll talk about the breakdown and, and, and we'll get into the financial aspect and the advantages there and how much has how much has improved in this industry and, and, and as far as LEDs go in a minute. But man, imagine being three degrees less or, or a lot less temperature having to have, imagine not having to fight that, whether it's through cooling chillers or moving air or, or a, a bunch of different ways but you've got multiple things that are of course drawing um drawing more electricity draw and, and causing and causing a lot more expenses at the grow absolutely everything is an operating expense and the more electricity we can save the more efficient the that grow operation will be all right so talk about some of the benefits of some green light and why it's not okay for you to use a light without green Okay. Yeah. So a lot of manufacturers first came out and said, well, blue and red is great. So that's all we want to do. Why, why produce, why waste energy producing a wavelength the plant doesn't want? Well, that's I understand that, but the reality is plants do like some green. They do absorb some green. And what we found is you get deeper penetration of the canopy with a full spectrum white light that has green in it. Um, and the reason is, since it's not absorbed initially at the top of the canopy, because a lot of it gets reflected, it scatters and bounces around and, and scatters through the canopy and does continue to get absorbed lower down and on the underside of leaves. And so in addition to this, when you have these LEDs, are you using less reflectors as well as far as trying to get light to bounce around? Yeah, I mean, we still we don't discourage anybody from using reflectors on the you know having reflective walls, but you know most for most of my clients they just have white walls that reflect the full spectrum of light pretty well. Um, you know, we have lenses on the LEDs that are going to direct it. You know, ideally, from my point of view, if I if my light is hitting the wall, then that's a kind of a waste. 
I, I want it hitting just the plants. I don't need to be spending energy lighting up the wall. So, you know, if it's hitting the wall, then they're, they're probably hanging the light too high and they're not, they're, they're not kind of, doesn't it quite have it ideal, but it, the, I, the best results are, I mean, some of the light is still going to spill out. And if you can reflect it off the walls and ceilings by having them be white, then that all the better. Excellent. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break, but don't go away because when we return with Steve, we're going to talk about what is an LED and how it is fundamentally different than other light sources. Also, I'm going to give some clues on how to find out uh, how to get a discount of 5% on products for listening today. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint Business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on, and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Okay, I want to welcome you back to our show here, Blunt Business Radio. I'm Sean Eubanks, your host, and we are sitting with Steve Cruss, who is with Light Waves Electronics out of Portland, Oregon. And Steve, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Wonderful. So we were talking about, now we're going to pivot into what is an LED and how is it fundamentally different than other light sources? So. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. Funny, I've given this lecture for many years to an uh, architectural class at uh, a couple of colleges and to a fifth grade class. And at, at this point, people know everybody's heard of LED now, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, most people had not. And LED is it stands for light emitting diode. And it was actually discovered by accident back in 1962. So what it was is a diode just kind of regulates electricity a little bit. And they made this diode and they realized when it was regulating electricity, it glowed red. And they thought, huh, that could be useful. 
So over the years, they've gotten much more efficient and better at designing them, uh, and they can make them do very specific things. You know, one of the things I hear, Steve, is that um, a lot of people talk about degradation of phosphor. Um, What do you say to people who talk about degradation of phosphor? Again, uh, to take it back one step, an LED, by definition, only puts out one wavelength of light. So you you basically, you have a sandwich of material that will, the electrons will jump back and forth from one level to the next, back, back and forth at a specific rate. And the byproduct is that wavelength of light. So white light is actually all wavelengths. So by the definition of an LED, there's no such thing as a white LED. So the way they actually make a white LED is they use a blue LED and they, they dope it with phosphor. So that 500 nanometer range of light of, from the blue actually excites the phosphor and the phosphor glows. Um, and the recipe that they use for the phosphor is what gives you your color temperature, whether it's towards the red, red color or towards the blue, blue or white, the cooler color. So when they talk about degradation of phosphor, um, you know, it's that phosphor eventually does degradate, you know, it, it gets worn out, it gets used up, but it's, we're talking a, a well-designed LED that has good heat source, you know, heat sinking and stuff. That chip is going to last, um, probably 20 years before it loses 30% of its brightness. Wow. So it's not gone. It's just not quite as bright as it was. It, it just kind of degrades linearly and, and uh, over time. So the Department of Energy basically said, well, LEDs last so long, how are we going to define what a life is? And they said, well, it's L70. When it's at 70%, we're defining that as that's the life, which for most people is perfectly fine. They'll keep using it. Do you see marketing having to keep up with that? Or is it just a concern that's that's not necessarily on everybody's radar? Are they actively addressing that objection of is the phosphor going to degrade you know they they were i don't think they're going to do it as much because I, it's becoming less of an issue as people realize how the technology works and uh and really how when they say a fifty thousand or a hundred thousand hour life on an led when they realize how long that really is the reality is for most led fixtures that people will buy it will they will probably replace them before the degradation becomes an issue. And the reason they'll do that is because as they become more efficient, it'll be cost effective to just say, you know what, I'm moving on to a new, a newer version that's half the wattage and equal brightness. Because they will continue to do that over the next 15, 20 years. So long before these are actually not working, they will have replaced it just because it was cost effective to do that. Okay, and so since the human eye cannot notice degradation of light, I mean, how is that a disadvantage for high-pressure sodium or other non-LED lights? Yeah, so that's really, that's a great point. So when you walk into a grow room that's filled with high-pressure sodium lights, they're, they're, they all look very bright. Now, the reality is the human eye is not that sensitive of an instrument uh, when it comes to how much light is coming out of these things. It, you know, it, it either looks bright or it doesn't to us. And, um, but if you go in with a, with a, with a PAR meter and you measure a brand new bulb, but, and it's 1100, uh, going back to what we started with 1100, uh, uh, PPF, and then you walk under another one that looks to the human eye equally bright and it's only 250 PAR, 
you know, there's a big difference. So the reality is that's why, you know, high pressure sodium lights need to be replaced. And most a good grower will be replacing them on a on a calendared schedule uh, because just based on what you see, it's it's really hard to tell. But if they're saying, OK, I'm changing them every six months or every year, um, then they're keeping up and they're keeping their their PPF levels up as opposed to just saying, well, I'm waiting till it burns out because it's the efficacy drops off pretty fast on a on HID lights. And that's both, you know, for high pressure sodium and metal halide. Yeah. And so what is the life of a light bulb and, and what do they mean by by life of a light bulb? So that's a great question. So. Um, when they talk about the life of a light bulb or what we're used to as a light bulb, and they say an incandescent bulb has a, or a high pressure sodium bulb has a 20,000 hour life or a 2000 hour life. What that means is if you had a hundred of them after that period of time, 50% of them will have failed, you know, be not working. And doesn't mean, you know, some of them may have failed within the first month. Some of them may last well past that 2000 hours. So that's, that's what, you know, when they've, for years, they've said, what's the life of a bulb and the hours they give is based on 50% mean failure. As I said before, that's not the definition of the life of an LED since they just get dimmer over time and they don't fail. Um, their life is based on you know, when they've lost 30% of their initial brightness. So when they say 50,000 hours to 30% to 70%, that's a, a whole lot different than, you know, even, even if you had a light that was 30,000 hours to 50% mean failure, you'd have half your lights would be out by that point and just be dark. So they're two different scales. And that's something I'm constantly trying to explain. You know, it's incredible because it's like they they tried to lower the bar almost to say, look, we don't know how to compare a 50,000 hour light bulb it's, it's to true. a 2,000 hour light bulb. So let's just make up some new rules. Exactly. Exactly. I think they were trying to address the fact that they it's obvious when a light bulb fails, it, it goes dark. It's mm-hmm. not obvious when an LED, you know, because they just get very slowly, they get dimmer over time. And we're talking years. And uh, so they said, well, let's come come up with a definition. And what they should have done is retroactively change the definition on the prior technologies, but they didn't. And so when you talk about the difference in time between uh, LED and others, are you looking, I mean, do you, you, do you express that in, in years, I guess, obviously, 10 years to one year? Or how do you address that gap into people? It's almost like it's such a staggering number that people might not want to believe you. They they tend not to. Um, one of the things I've learned over the years is when I when I come in and I talk about LED lighting, and it's not just grow lights. I I do you know we do all sorts of lighting, uh, but it's all LED. Uh, I used to do like a payback analysis where I would say this is your payback analysis over how much money you'll save over the next ten years by changing out your lights, and I could do that over twenty years because the lights are going to last that long, but I kind of tend to feel that people wouldn't believe me because the number would just be so staggering. They'd say, oh, you're, 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 you're just exaggerating. So it's, I found it's easier just to give them a 10-year payback, a 10-year savings, and it was a more believable number. 
and then not worry about the fact that they're going to save twice that. But is there in that payback analysis, do you kind of speak in generalities or do you really dive into it? Or like if someone's just passing by and says, hey, give me the difference, you know, what is the difference and when is my payback? Are you able to kind of answer that? Oh, absolutely. We can do a calculation and we, you know, we just need to ask a few, few questions. Basically, you know, the key, key thing is hours of operation and how much do you pay for electricity? It's not that complicated to figure out. And then we just kind of do a comparison of, all right, here's the investment for an LED versus high pressure sodium light. And, and then, so there's the price difference and kind of figure out based on what you're paying for electricity. Here in Oregon, we we average uh, a payback analysis of upgrading to LED. It's anywhere between one and a half to two years, and which is really amazing considering we don't pay a lot for electricity in Oregon. You know, we're, a lot of these growers are, are, are paying seven, seven and a half cents per kilowatt hour. You know, if you did the same analysis in California where they're paying 21 cents a kilowatt hour, payback's a whole lot faster. Okay, and you do say that chips matter. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, um, chips matter a lot. There's a lot of you know LEDs out there that uh, are just mass produced and in in staggering quantities, and they look real bright. And and you know from the at first blush, it's like okay, well that's a cheaper chip. That's fine. Mm-hmm. When I say chips matter. There, there's some. There are a few high-quality agricultural chips that are, I think are crucial. And one of the first things to look for is that it has a ceramic uh, substrate, which costs a little bit more, but works so much better at dissipating the heat than a plastic substrate. So remember, heat is heat is the enemy of an LED, and as it produces heat, if you need to get that heat away so that that heat has to go through the substrate of the chip to your heat sink, which is usually aluminum, which you bond the chip to. And, and then that, then that aluminum is, will dissipate the heat through the air. So we found that uh, a lot of these lower cost chips that are on plastic, that plastic just does not do a good job of dissipating the heat. So we end up with quicker degradation and shorter lifespan on the, on the lights and fixtures. Okay, so assuming we're using ceramic, how many years does it take an LED to get down to that 30% degradation we talked about? So if you take into account uh, um, an LED that's rated for 100,000 hours, Mm -hmm. and let's say you're using it in a flower room at 12 hours a day, that's that's only 4,380 hours a year. So... So you're talking 100,000 hours. So you're talking 22.83 years. Wow. Until um, it gets to 30%, um, which is, yeah, like I said, you will replace those lights long before, you know, for a better technology long before they get to that level, just because it'll, it'll, there'll be a better payback analysis down the road. You know, it could be five, six years from now. They're just so much more efficient that it's worth changing them again. And we've had people say, well, if it's always getting cheaper and better, why should I jump in now? And I always say, because you can save money now. And would you like to save $40,000 a year now? Or would you like to wait three years and lose out on $120,000 in savings and then jump in? You know, so it's kind of, a, you know, it's always a matter of when do you jump into the pool? And 
it's definitely cost effective to do it now, and it may be cost effective to do it again in five or six years from now. You know, that kind of begs the question: if if is hours uh, an accurate measurement for me? So if I I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, well, why don't I just pay a little less and buy a fifty a rate? You know, it's rated for fifty thousand hours instead of a hundred thousand because I can get eleven years out of that versus twenty two. Is that a thing? Yeah, possibly. Um, you know, there's most of the most of the well designed fixtures are just gonna you know they're gonna last in excess of 50,000 hours and probably closer to a hundred thousand. Anyway, there's, you're probably not going to see a huge price difference between one that's rated at 50,000 and one that's rated at a hundred. Um, it'll, uh, you know, there won't be a significant price difference to really justify saying, well, I should buy the cheaper one. Okay. So we've covered how LEDs are rated. How are the other technologies rated, whether it be incandescent HPS or other, and how are they rated? Because obviously they can't compete on the per hour or, or, the, or the 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 length of hours that that the bulb right. lasts. No, they they can't. Um, and as I said before, they they degrade rather quickly on the on the at the beginning from their initial brightness. It drops off and then it kind of settles in and kind of simmers along at a certain level for for a fair amount of time. But it really depends on the quality of the bulb. Um, you know, I know that there are some high-end, high-pressure sodium lights that should be replaced once a year. I've got customers who replace them twice a year. I've got customers who were were paying thirty bucks a bulb instead of a hundred bucks a bulb, and they were pl- replacing them uh, every ninety days. So it really depends on the bulb. Um, you know, that that same customer that was replacing them every ninety days no longer uses high-pressure sodium lights. We've his entire grow operation is now LED. So they've they've sold all of their high pressure sodium fixtures on Craigslist and they're never looking back. Wow. So when you walk into a grow and you measure the micro molds, how do these HPS lights vary? Tremendously. Um, as I said, they look bright, but when you walk down a row and you just hold the meter out, you'll see, oh, this one's 1100, this one's 500. Oh, here, here's one that must be a year old. It's at 250. Oh, wow. And yet to the human eye, they all look the same. Right. And see, so you're not able to pull those lights out and you're, you, you know, it's, in, it's, it's almost kind of like a, a don't ask, don't tell scenario. Exactly. Hmm. So, you know, like I said, a, a, a good grower who's paying close attention will just have, you know, regardless of what the lights look like, they will just be when they close down a room or, or harvest a room and that room is down for service, they'll change out the lights on a, on a specific interval. But, you know, there's a high maintenance cost to that. You're paying, you know, you're, you're paying anywhere from 30 to $100 a bulb to replace those bulbs yeah, once or twice a year. So isn't just putting dates on the hoods uh, of the HPS a, a good way to indicate when the light should be changed? Or it sounds like you, you, you still don't know about degradation. You still don't understand micromoles and what's happening and the variation there. So dates aren't necessarily good on, uh, on the hoods, right? It's certainly better than not doing anything. Uh, dates are, you know, dates are always useful. Um, but, you know, if you, have, if you have a bad batch of bulbs that degraded faster than others, you wouldn't know just based on the date unless you were monitoring it. But, you know, most people don't walk around with a, with a par meter and monitor the lights. Um, I have seen some, uh, some LED uh, distributors say, well, 
you know, first 30 people that respond will come give you a free uh, par reading, which I kind of chuckled. I'm like, that's good marketing. I, I thought I'll just respond. I'll, I'll, I'll do that anytime. <laughs> so. Right. Isn't it funny? It's, it's like you're trying to market something that you already do. We run yeah. into that on the consulting side all the time. And it's kind of, it's almost like, um, I'm like, yeah, that's included. We don't need to itemize that and break it out. It's just part of doing business and it's, it's necessary. You know, yeah, we don't charge for that. That's, you know, but it, but it's nice marketing to say, we'll do it for free. <laughs> right. You know, I had someone ask me on an application. They're like, Hey, are you going to, um, are you going to charge me to write the security plan? And I'm like, the security plan's part of the application. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's part of that fee. We, we can't do the application without it and no, we're not going to charge you extra for that. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, interesting, interesting marketing thing there. So, okay. So can you talk about the, the three dimensions of lights and how they interact with growth and development of plants? Yeah. Um, so so light consists of three dimensions. There's the intensity, there's the spectrum, and there's the photo period. So quantity, intensity, we kind of talked about that, you know, how much, you know, the micromoles per square meter. And what that's crucial to know is because that, that's where you're going to get your biomass. That's where the plant is going to do a lot of photosynthesis and really just build itself up. Um, the spectrum of light is going to have more of an effect on the morphology of the plant. So as I said before, more blue light is going to kind of stretch the, the nodal spacing out because it's going to reach for that light. And we can kind of use the spectrum and adjust it to kind of tweak out different things. We can, using the spectrum of light, we can uh, affect, um, you know, THC level or, or um, you know, terpene levels, things like that. The photo period or light duration, that's going to trigger your flowering. You know, when you start going from 18 hours a day and then you drop it to 12 hours a day, that's going to trigger the plant to say, oh, the seasons are changing, time to start flowering. So those are the three basic uh, dimensions of light. Excellent. Well, we're going to we're going to take a short break, but don't go away because when we return with Steve of Lightwaves Electronics Inc, we're going to talk about ultraviolet light and how it affects your plants and your wallet. Also, stay tuned and find out how to get a discount of 5% for listening today. We'll be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more blunt business. This is Bobby Black, host of Blazin, here to talk to you about 420 Science. I've known Matt and Gary from 420 Science for over a decade. We've spent a lot of time together at the Cannabis Cups in Amsterdam, the Doobie Awards in their hometown of Austin. They were even at my wedding. And I've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 Science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop. Visit 420science.com slash podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first. That's 420science.com slash podcast. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. 
Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing cannabis radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business Radio. I'm Sean Eubanks of Strainwise Consulting, your host. We are here with Steve Kruss of Lightwaves Electronics, Inc. of Portland, Oregon. And we are going to finish this next segment talking about ultraviolet light and how it affects your plants and your wallet. So also stay tuned to the very end for a uh, an idea of how to get a 5% discount. So Steve, welcome back. Thank you. All right. So we talked about duration of light in the last segment. So what about light intensity and light quality and how is that measured and, and what should our listeners take away from this info? So the again, the light intensity and the light quality we kind of talked about before um, with uh, in the spectrums and, and the volume of light in the power meeting. I think um, the thing we didn't touch on is the ultraviolet light, which um, – We've there's been a number of studies done, although it's it's been fairly limited because obviously, as all the listeners will know, there hasn't been a whole lot of scientific research done in the U.S. Um, because it's been illegal to do that. But yep. there was a study done uh, by researchers in Maryland um, with uh, UVB radiation and its effects on cannabis. And if you think of it this way, when we get exposed to UVB we produce uh, melanin and we, we tan. Well, when cannabis plants are exposed to UVB, their reaction is to produce more oils, specifically THC. Um, so it, it's, we found that it's a great way to actually boost your THC level. Um, and the Maryland study at the University of Maryland, they found uh, that plants produce almost 28% more THC in the buds when they were exposed to UVB radiation for the last three weeks of flower. So wow. it was really a fascinating study. So do you normally recommend that they go ahead and just use the UVB for the last three weeks or before that? I usually suggest that they just use it for flower. There's no harm. The, the biggest results are going to be the last three weeks, but we've, you know, there's no harm in doing it for the entire flower cycle. Um, there are some added benefits of doing it in the sense that, you know, since nobody, it seems like no, nothing and nobody likes UVB. So the insects and the molds and mildews, they don't like it either. So um, having that UVB kind of retards their growth a little bit. Um, so they're not, they're not fond of it. So there are some added benefits to that. Okay, and so we established in the last segment that with HPS, you cannot manipulate the spectrum, which obviously affects the weight of the plant in a negative way there. Now, shifting from HPS, you can't manipulate that. Now, we're using UVB to complement LEDs. But tell me about if you if your experience. You, you tell me your actual practical okay. experience. I want to kind of hold your feet to the fire here. Have you increased THC levels by more than like 1% or, you know, give me an example of where you've okay. combined UVB um, and, 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 and the output there and, and the result. Okay, perfect. So we, we have one grower that we put in some, 
some UVB tubes. And now, remember, these are not LED because UV LEDs just don't produce enough light to do anything. So there are some LED manufacturers out there that say our fixtures have UV, UV LEDs, and that's just marketing because it just doesn't do anything. So we're using a fluorescent tube um, that puts out UVB, and it puts out 15% UVB. So the results we had actually very closely mirrored the results that the Maryland study did. We had a grower grow two different strains um, under one in one section of the room, just their normal way, and in another section under the UVB lights. Uh, they would have. They said if we get a one percent increase, they'd be thrilled because that means they could charge more for for their product. Of course, yeah. higher quality. Mm-hmm. So we took the result. We took samples from both sections of plants both at the same level of the canopy, took that to a lab and had them do a test on it. On one strain, the increase was 25%. Um, On the other strain, it was 43%. And now it doesn't, now make sure you understand, I'm not saying it had 43% THC level. It was an increase of 43%. So, um, which was still staggering. Um, and they, these guys were like doing backflips when they saw that and they said, yep, we're putting, we're putting those lights everywhere. So, and we've now, we're now doing, uh, a 10,000 square foot grow is they've got 16 room, 16 grow rooms and we've got, um, UV supplemental lights in every room. So, and what we just basically told them is, you know, when you go into the room to turn, to tend the plants, turn off the UVB lights. Um, just so you're not around it all the time. We don't need the. The growers getting overly tanned um, right. and then just have them turn back on when you leave the room. We put in a motion sensor that d- just turns off the lights when you come in. And I so appreciate you sharing about the UVB LEDs. Um, as of right now, just to be clear, you're saying that there's not really anything that you're aware of um, outside of just general marketing. There's no proven technology that combines a UVB and LED. Correct. There's no okay. there's no UVB LED that is efficient enough to do anything Um, i'm sorry go ahead yeah they're just they're just too dim basically okay and then for people who kind of want to check steve's science on this look at the equator right i mean this occurs naturally high uvb around the equator you'll see that throughout the development of the highest uh, percentage of thc strains are, are, are all along that corridor exactly if you if you look at if you think about the strains that have the highest thc levels they're all along the equator, except for two or three uh, strains that are just beyond that that band um, on the equator. And those would be something like uh, from Morocco, uh, the Rift Mountains in Morocco, the Becca Valley of Lebanon, and Hindu Kush. Um, they're all above that 30-degree you know, latitude, but they are all high altitude. So the higher the altitude, the thinner the atmosphere, the more UVB. So that's, that's why those fall out of that, that band along the equator, but they still have the high UVB levels because of the thinner atmosphere. Okay, so compare a uh, – we're going to go to your website here in a second. We're going to talk about specific lights and how we can help people that way. But um, just some quick rapid-fire stuff for you, Steve. Can you quickly sure. compare a 400-watt LED uh, to a 100-watt HPS flower room and the lights used there? And then and then kind of an example of savings there. And are, are they achieving equal growth that way, that kind of stuff? 
Sure. So generally, when I go into a, a grow operation and they're using thousand watt high pressure sodium lights over, uh, and that's covering a four by four area. So they generally have four by eight trays and they've got 2000 watt lights over that tray. We will generally come in in a flower room and I would suggest about um, 600 watts of LED, uh, six to six to 700 watts of LED over that same area will get equal weight. Um, in veg, we can actually go a little thinner on that. The, we could do this equal weight and equal growth uh, in veg with about 400 watts of LED. And so when you think about that, is not only are you saving the energy on your lighting, which is your, your biggest energy hog, but for every watt you put into a sealed room, you're putting in 3.41 BTUs of heat per hour. And that adds up to a lot of heat, which means you have to air condition to get rid of that heat. So the Energy Trust of Oregon, who you mentioned I work with, they just came up with a new spreadsheet that calculates energy savings on air conditioning load for changing over to LED. Basically, they found it's about 20% savings on your air conditioning load if you switch to LED, and um, which is significant. Uh, just in operating costs, but also in setup costs for a, a new facility, you may not need to put in nearly as big a AC system. So you may save thousands of dollars up front on your construction costs. Excellent. Hey, guys, uh, I'm very sorry, Steve. We are out of time here. Let's go to your website, though, because I think a lot of people, when they listen to you speak, they think, OK, you do service massive commercial grows, but you can also go all the way down to the private smaller grows and sell literally one light at a time. So I'm on your website, light-waves.net. So light-waves.net. Walk me through uh, quickly. Give me an idea of what your best-selling light is and any chip manufacturers you recommend. So our best-selling light we, is our full-spectrum white. Um, it's Then it comes in a, a 200 and a 300-watt version, both for, for veg and flour. Um, that would be what we're putting in large grow operations. Also perfect for somebody that just wants to have a home grow and cover four plants. They can use either one of those for both veg and flower. They don't have to use different ones. The bigger growers are gonna have separate rooms and separate color spectrums. Not really necessary for the home grower, um, but you're happy, you know, you can go to our website. We have an online store. Um, if you're local, um, give us a call. We can talk to you and walk you through it um, and, uh, or come out and do a visit. If it's uh, not just a home grow operation, We that's, our, that's our bread and butter is to come out and kind of look at the facility and, and help you get set up. Mm -hmm. um, so, And so, but, Steve, tell, tell our, for our listeners, how do we get the 5% discount for listening today and, and how do we get in touch with you? Okay, so today is Cinco de Mayo. So uh, since, since it's Cinco de Mayo, all you have to do is call or write to me at Lightwaves Electronics. My email is steve at light-waves.net or sales at light-waves.net. Um, or leave us a voicemail. If you use, if you reference the word margarita, we will give you a 5% discount on your entire order. Excellent. Well, we're out of time, and I would love to thank Steve Cruss of Light Waves Electronics and our producers as well. This has been another fantastic episode of Blunt Business Radio. I want to thank you all, and we will see you next week.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.